Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me this morning, I have Pastor John. And for the last few weeks, we've been making our way through the doctrines of grace, or more commonly known as Calvinism. And we started with uh, points one and two, total depravity and unconditional election. And today we've come to uh, the third doctrine, and this doctrine seems to be the most controversial out of all of them, and that, of course, is limited atonement. Limited atonement. So, John, I'm just going to start off by asking if you take a few moments to um, walk us through this third point. What does it mean, and why is it why is it so controversial? Well, the... The title that um, has been given to it um, is unfortunate. You know, when you when you talk about a loving God, a loving God having uh, a limited group of people that He's going to save, it doesn't sound very good at all. And so you have um, you have this right out of the chute. You have a negative feeling towards the doctrine if you call it limited atonement, is the atonement limited? And so we, we, need, to, we need to think through this um, biblically, of course, and regardless of how you feel about a, a doctrine of Scripture, um, the, I guess you cannot, you cannot create your, your own doctrinal viewpoints, your own doctrinal statements on what you like. Right. I mean, I don't like the doctrine of hell. (laughs) I don't like that at all. I mean, I have a lot of friends and family that that don't know Christ, and if they die in their sin, what I believe about Scripture is that they're going to be in hell, and I don't like that at all. Yeah. So, what do you say, Jeremy? If we just throw out the doctrine of hell and just get rid of that because I'm uncomfortable with it? Well, see, that's that's burying your head in the sand um, doctrinally. And I don't think that's a good idea. And so, and so I think we need to keep the Bible as our standard of, of uh, doctrinal um, direction. And I'm not saying that those who disagree with us on, disagree with us on this point are, are not dealing honestly with Scripture. I'm just saying that we cannot base our our group of doctrines that we embrace on what we like or, or don't like. Right. That's all I'm saying. Cause there, there are, you know, good godly people who disagree with us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like older, I told you this, I think last time we, we, we recorded the lot, the older I get, the more, um, I'm, I, I want to, um, find the areas of agreement instead of disagreement. Mm-hmm. I'm less willing to fight about things um, than I was, you know, a short while ago. But limited atonement is the most controversial and difficult to understand, not intellectually, but emotionally, um, because uh, it, it's, it teaches that God isn't going to save everybody. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's an uncomfortable thought. And, and when you add to this idea that God is not going to save everyone, that he's actually going to save some, but not all. It even gets worse. Yeah. I mean, emotionally. Um, and so, 
people reject this um, doctrine for understandable reasons. Um, But the question I like to ask people when when we're talking about this, if people want to be honest about it, um, I'm willing to talk to them about it. But if they just want to argue, I'm not interested. But if they want to be honest, I just simply ask a question, is the atonement limited? And so they usually ask, well, what do you mean? I says, it's a simple question. Is the atonement limited? Will everybody be in heaven? <laughs> Most evangelicals would say, of course not. I mean, of course everybody won't be in heaven. Right. It is limited. It's limited to the people who are going to be in heaven. So the next question is, okay, and by the way, if, if the atonement isn't limited, you're a universalist. Yeah. There's only two options. It's either yeah. limited or you're a universalist. Yeah. And so this is, this is I think, an important thing to, co- to think through. Um, and by the way, uh, evangelical universalism is a growing in popularity doctrine. Yeah. Um, more and more people are, are embracing that. And even not just the run of the mill, but some pretty you know, thoughtful theologians are in that camp. So we can't just poo-poo that either. Right, right. But we're talking about limited atonement, I think, versus um, uh, free will. Yeah. And so uh, I think we need to stay focused on that. But I, I, I want just to acknowledge that there is a group of pe- growing group of people out there that are, that are embracing evangelical universalism, and which, which is not just universalism. It's not Unitarianism. It's it's evangelical universalism, meaning that the blood of Christ will save everyone eventually. That's what that means. But that's that's a topic for another day. But most evangelicals that disagree over this point of doctrine actually agree on the most important parts of this doctrine of limited atonement. Um, I'd like to, before we get too far into this podcast, change how we talk about it. Sure. Okay. So instead of calling it particular, I mean. Uh, Limited atonement. Let's call it particular redemption. I think uh, there's there's good good reason for that, and I think just the, the sound of it is <laughs> the, a step in the right direction. But most evangelicals who disagree over particular redemption, limited atonement, actually agree on most parts of this doctrine. For example, the value of Jesus's atonement. How valuable is Jesus's atonement? We all believe that the death of Jesus was sufficient to atone for all the sins of all the people in every century of world history. We agree on that. Almost every evangelical, in fact, universalists agree on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, most of us are not in disagreement as to whether all people will be in heaven, save the universalists. Most evangelicals believe hell is a real place. They, they believe that hell is a place that's going to house the rebellious throughout eternity. Um, and like I said, I dislike the, the doctrine of hell, but it's so hard to get around in Scripture, you have to accept it. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible teaches. I've read a couple of, of books on the subject of, of hell and eternal universalism, and as, tract, as attractive as universalism sounds, there's just some elements to it um, Doctrinal, biblical elements um, in Scripture that, that make it 
difficult for me to embrace the idea of evangelical universalism, even though it sounds like a wonderful doctrine. Um, but um, the point is, is that most evangelicals agree that the atonement is limited to those who are saved or going to heaven, saved or, or on the w- way to be saved. It's, I don't think you'll find any Arminian that will disagree with that. Mm-hmm. The, the atonement's limited to those who are going to heaven. Right? Yeah. <laughs> How else are you going to get there? Yeah. So, so uh, what we teach at Sun Valley Church is that the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary is absolutely effective. It's, it's something that is going to uh, accomplish its purpose. Um, would we be willing to say that the work of Jesus on Calvary may not work those, for those whom it was intended to work? We would say, of course not. We would say the blood of Christ on Calvary for who is intended to work would certainly work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's, it's, this, is, this is what we teach here. Those who have been chosen by God will, without exception, be saved, mm-hmm. is what we teach. This is, this is kind of a, a nutshell of the doctrine. This is a, a, a pretty significant doctrine um, in, in Scripture and in most doctrinal statements that um, you, don't, you can't afford to be fuzzy on. So, you know, where, where do we get these things? Well, Jesus' words in, in John 6, John 6 is amazing. Romans is amazing when it comes to the doctrines of grace and particularly particular redemption. Jesus said in John six forty four that no one comes unto me unless the Father draws him. Um, so, and the argument, of course, from the other side is, well, the Father draws everybody. Mm. But he doesn't. Um, because when you get to John 17, uh, even further into John 6, John 6, 37 through 39, Jesus says, all that the Father has given me will come to me mm. and will not be missing out. I will, I will save them. So what he didn't say everyone. He said those that the Father has given me. Mm. John 17, the same thing. All those the Father has given me. I pray for those you have given me, not for the world, but those you have given me. And so there's a particular group of people that Jesus had in mind that, that are about to experience salvation, about to benefit from the atonement, from the work on Calvary. So is that everybody? Well, Jesus didn't think so. Um, and I would think that his ideas on the matter would be of substance to us. Yeah. So, I don't know, do you have any other questions that might help clarify the idea of particular redemption? No, I, I, think, that's, I think that's a good uh, overview of, of what we teach here. Um, but you did mention, so you, you switched it from limited atonement to particular redemption. Yeah. Um, and it seems like when we talk about the doctrines of grace, and we have the acronym TULIP, right? That helps us, you know, work our way through those. Helps us remember. Helps us remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like most of those those letters or words are are make it seem like it's not like total depravity. Right. When we talk about that, it's, it seems like when we say we're totally depraved, it's like we are as sinful as we get, and that is... Sure. Like, so in other words, you're saying these titles are easy to misunderstand. Yeah. yeah. So so why why is why is limited atonement, um, why, why is it so difficult for people to get past just those two words? Because of the sounds of it. I mean, you're saying a loving God limits who he's going he's gonna to save. 
when you say it, and, and it is true, but it sounds horrible. But when you change the title to particular redemption, there's, a th- there's things that come into play. Like, we're all deserving of condemnation. Mm-hmm. We're all sinners, right? For the wages of sin is death. Okay, and, and with death comes punishment and, you know, retribution, judgment, all these things. But God comes along because of his goodness and grace and mercy and redeems some of us, mm. a particular few. And see, that's the positive way to a, a, approach the same doctrine. And you, and, you, and you can get there from the positive side by changing the name to particular redemption. Right. You know, we're all running headlong towards a cliff. God reaches down and says, not you. You're not, you're not running over. Not you. Not you. Not you. You're coming here. You're, you're, nope, not you. You're not going over. That sounds good and gracious to me. Whereas limited atonement sounds um, hideous. Yeah. You know? So that's why. And, and all the doctrines of grace have titles that have been misrepresented, misunderstood. And so that's why it's important that we call it like total depravity, radical depravity. Mm-hmm. It, we, we have this radical problem that has infected every part of our life. I'm not as bad of a sinner as I could be, but sin has infected every part of right. me. Right. That's the idea of total depravity. Right. Radical depravity. Not limited atonement, you know, in name, particular redemption. Yeah. These things help us understand the doctrine and not not that we try to, you know, uh, soothe people with doctrine, but we don't try to offend them just by the name. Right. And I guess that's what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned that Christ's death is sufficient through all ages for all time for the whole world for, for many worlds for for many worlds yes <laughs> it, but it's it's only effective for the chosen for those to whom it's been applied yeah yeah, yeah. okay and that chosen word also has become yeah a problem for us <laughs> you know evangelicals yeah. uh, calvinists yeah. particularly yeah. i mean that that also falls into this category that word chosen yeah. <laughs> implies there's not chosen how come he didn't choose me? I mean, I'm a nice guy. I'm right. friendly. I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as, you know, right. your guy down at the jail who's in, you know, death row. So why didn't he choose me? Yeah. Well, that's the importance of having biblical conversation so that people understand what these doctrines actually mean. Yeah. 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 So is there, I mean, based off of just, just our words that we use, is there a winsomeness that we have to use when we're... Um, well, I think we want to be winsome. I mean, yeah. Paul said we need to be the aroma of life yeah. to people. And when, if our if our evangelistic presentation says, you're probably not <laughs> chosen, so you might yeah. as well forget it. Yeah. That's not very winsome. Yeah, And yet, you know, people who who don't like this doctrine categorize or characterize th- that type of evangelism. Yeah. You know, you're, uh, so you, you might ask, well, can we say in our gospel presentation, God loves you, Jesus died for you. You know, we got to be careful 
on what we say. We can't just be flippant and, and or abrasive. We actually want to win people to Christ. Yeah. I don't think we want it, and I'm not necessarily opposed to how this went down, you know, in the Great Awakening with, you know, George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, these guys that got up and pounded the pulpit and scared people into the kingdom. I'm not opposed to that necessarily. I just think we're in a different world, yeah. a different age, and I think very unlikely that we're going to chase people into heaven with a stick. Yeah. Um, I think we need to be winsome with the gospel. I think we need to to tell them that there is an answer to their guilt and there is hope for their for their discouragement and despair, that there's a loving Savior who's willing to forgive and restore and reconcile himself to you, his creature. Yeah. That's winsome. Yeah. To, but to say, hey, turn or burn, baby. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. it might work on, on a five-year-old. Yeah. But, you know, once someone, you know, into abstract thinking, you're not going to chase too many of them into heaven with a stick. Right. It's just, I don't think it's going to happen these days. Yeah. So yes, to answer your question, we need to be winsome. Yeah. And the gospel is so fundamentally and essentially winsome yeah. <laughs> to say that in his love, God became man yeah. to save us from yeah. our sin. Yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we wouldn't have to perish for you. would just believe in him. So, yeah, I think it's very important to be winsome. Mm. So, uh, as we've talked about already, this, this, this doctrine can be um, pretty hard to receive and, and to take in. And most people, when, when they're um, debating, I guess, uh, this particular doctrine, you know, they'll, they'll turn to Second Peter, and then I'll look at chapter 3, 8 through 9. And it says this. It says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as, as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So what do we do with this passage? Well, there's, this is a difficult passage. There's a few difficult passages in scripture that, that, you know, fall in, in this type of category. But the, the idea that I think there, there's two ways to look at this, three ways, three ways. The, the first would be, uh, at face value, it sounds like Peter's saying God wants everybody saved. And we believe enough about God to have a high enough view of God to understand that whatever God wants, he gets. Mm. You know, there's no plan of mine, no plan of yours, God, that'll be thwarted. Job 42.2, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Mm. So the first first thing is, well, this is saying that God wants everybody saved. And we could could say, okay, I, I understand that. And they would say, see, so, so limited atonement can't work. He, he wants everybody saved. And there's, there's a few ways that we can answer this. Well, let me, let me go through the three options. First is face value. God wants everybody saved, so limited atonement can't be correct. Secondly, we can say, well, and John Piper and John Edwards argued this particular um, way with, on this verse. There are two wills in God. God has a, a perfect will that 
Of course, he's a loving God. He, he created all. He loves all his creation. He wished they would, they would come to faith. But some don't. You know, that's, so there's two wills. And the second will, the first will is his, his desired perfect will that all would be saved. But his second will, his, his providential will, is that because of our sin, our rebellion, our distaste for God and authority, his authority, we run from it. But God graciously reaches down and chooses some mm. particular redemption. And then the third is what um, A.W. Pink made famous in his book, The Sovereignty of God. Um, and he said in this book, he goes, look at, look at who this book's addressed to. Even in this verse, he says, beloved. He's beloved. See, they, they, they asked Peter, the apostle Peter said, you know, what are, some of our people, some of our Christians have died and gone on, and, and we don't know what, what happened to them. I mean, are they in heaven? What's going on? And what about, what about, what if God comes back and my son hasn't accepted Christ yet? And so um, uh, Pink says, well, the first and second Peter are written to Christians. Hmm. It says, in fact, to the elect in the first verse of these epistles, to the elect. And then here in verse 8 that you read, it says, oh, uh, beloved. He doesn't call non-Christians beloved. Mm -hmm. He calls Christians beloved. Mm -hmm. Every single time that word's used, it's used for believers, the saints, beloved. And he says, God is not willing that any of you should perish. In, but he's patient towards you, wishing that all would come to repentance. So... What's what what and I, I tend to to lean towards um, Arthur Pink's interpretation of this, and that is Peter is referring to the elect. Mm. God is not willing that any of the elect would perish. He, he, and he's saying, Don't worry. If if your son is chosen of God, he will God will not return before your son comes to Christ. You know, if so that's but I understand the two wills by Edwards and Piper. I don't. I don't embrace the Arminian interpretation of this. That that says, well, see, God is not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. And and, and I think it's a simple response to that. And then how come everybody's not saved? Right. If God is God, and He gets His way one hundred percent of the time, which is what the Bible teaches, without dispute. You know, Job 42, uh, Psalm 115, our God is in heaven. He does all that he places. Uh, there's no plan of God's that will be thwarted. God is God of this universe. And if he wants someone to be saved, they will be saved. Mm -hmm. So that's the simple answer to that. Maybe it's a question. If, if God is not willing that any perish, then none will perish. Yeah. He's God. Yeah. So we can't, I don't, I mean, unless you're a universalist. We can go there. I think there's really only two options, yeah. Jeremy. I think you're either a doctrines of grace guy or you're a universalist. Hmm. I think that's especially when it comes to particular redemption or this doctrine of limited atonement that you've called it. So I, I there's three ways to look at that verse. I I believe that that Peter's thinking of the elect. I agree with Arthur Pink on this um, and many reformed guys who follow suit. Hmm. Yeah. I got, I got something I want to read. Um, do we have time sure. for yeah. that? Um, this has been helpful. This is a quote from Spurgeon. He got into this debate 
<clears throat> with some of his detractors. Spurgeon said, we are often told that we limit the atonement of Christ because we say that Christ has not made satisfaction for all men, or all men would be saved. Now, our reply to this is that, on the other hand, our opponents limit it. So Spurgeon's saying it's not us that limit the atonement, it's our opponents, the Arminians. Um, we, do, we do not. The Arminians say, Spurgeon, I'm, this is a quote, still, I'm still quoting Spurgeon, Christ died for all men, is what the Arminians say. Ask them what they mean by it. Did Christ die so that to secure the salvation of all men? They say, no, certainly not. We ask them the next question, did Christ die so as to secure the salvation of any man in particular? And the answer is no. They are obliged to admit this, even if, well, if they are consistent. They say, no, Christ has died that any man may be saved if, and then follows certain conditions of salvation. Now, who is it that limits the death of Christ? Why, you. You say that Christ did not die so as... Um, infallibly to secure the salvation of anybody, we beg your pardon. When you say we limit Christ's death, we say, no, my dear sir, it is you who do that. We say Christ so died that he infallibly secured the salvation of a multitude that no man can number, who through Christ's death not only may be saved, but are saved, must be saved, cannot by any possibility run the hazard of being anything but saved. You are welcome to your atonement. You may keep it. We will never renounce ours for the sake of it. End quote. Hmm. So <laughs> it's really an amazing wow. thought there. You know, it's what happened on Calvary, Jeremy, is the question. Yeah. Did Jesus die on Calvary to make salvation possible? Yeah. Which is what the Arminians say. Yeah. So potentially no one will be saved? What do you do with Romans 3? Yeah. It says no one seeks God. Yeah. <laughs> so potentially, yeah. and this is this is, you know, an exaggeration for the point, no one could be could be saved. So Jesus cried for no died for no reason at all. Yeah. That is unacceptable. Yeah. If it is possible that Jesus death wasn't for me or you or anybody then it's possible that he died for nobody, for no reason. Yeah. It was a waste. <laughs> That's unacceptable to us. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not just unacceptable to us. It's, it's sacrilegious. It's biblically erroneous. Look at, look at uh, Isaiah 53. Um, I, I, I came across this, you know, 25 years ago when I was going through the struggle of these doctrines. Um, this is a very familiar uh, chapter in the book of Isaiah that's, that we all are familiar with. It says this in verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Okay, so God crushed his own son, Jesus, right? And Now listen, verse 10, When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he will see his offspring. Hmm. He will see his offspring. Mm -hmm. It's not potential salvation. <laughs> it's guaranteed yeah. redemption. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Listen, out of the anguish of his soul, that is out of the anguish of Jesus' soul, 
He will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted as righteous. It's not a potential salvation. It is it is a guaranteed salvation yeah. for God's people. Yeah. And I think this is the point. This is, you know, when when Jesus died, did he actually accomplish something? Yeah. You know, did he actually redeem someone to buy buy them back? First Peter 1.18, Galatians 3.13 said he actually redeemed people. Uh, propitiation. What is that? Well, it's it's to turn God's wrath aside. Did he actually do that? Or did he just potentially do that? Reconciliation. We, we read all over the book of Romans about this idea of being reconciled to God in First and Second Corinthians. We're reconciled to God. Well, <laughs> do reconciled parties still fight? No. So, well, th- think about this. Uh, if, if Christ's death on Calvary makes just salvation possible, so he died for everybody, makes salvation possible, offers it to everybody, everybody can get in. It's all up to you. you just, all you got to do is believe and you're in. I got, and some teach, even in this town, all you got to do is pray a sinner's prayer and you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, uh, I'm, well, let me just ask the question. Is there anybody in hell for whom Christ died. If Jesus died for the world, that means there's people in hell that he died for. Hmm. Sounds like double jeopardy to me. That's impossible. You can't be in hell. Your sins are already paid for. How is that possible that you're in hell? Well, I didn't believe. Well, wait a minute. Isn't the sin, isn't unbelief a sin? Is unbelief a sin? Sure, it's a sin. So he, he died for all your sins except that one? Why are you in hell? There's no reason for you to be in hell if Jesus died for my sins. Yeah. Unbelief is a sin. <laughs> you're, yeah. either, you're either a universalist or you're a Calvinist. Yeah. There's no other in-between. There's no other ground there. Frankly, I'd rather be a universalist than, than an Arminian. Um seems a little more biblical to me but anyway yeah it's uh, well yeah i think that i mean just just thinking through it it gives us it gives us assurance when we do present the gospel right like it's not it's not dependent upon the words that i fumble through when i present the gospel it's dependent upon the spirit working and in Christ's accomplished work, right? Well, that's the thing. You're, what we're doing, don't you wish that the the elect had some kind of little glowing, yeah. you know, right ear or yeah. something? Yeah. Um, but we don't know that. Yeah. But those who who have been saved before the foundation of the world, Ephesians one four, simply need to hear the gospel. Yeah. And they will turn. Yeah. They will come to Christ. Well, yeah, I think that, I mean, the argument is, is always, well, if, if God just chooses these people and it's him doing, you know, all the work, then what's the point of presenting the gospel as well? Because we don't know who those people are. And so, right. Exactly. We, we have to go and present the gospel right. still. That's, so. that's actually a good thing that yeah. God didn't reveal who the, yeah. the, who the chosen elect are. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we need, that's right. So we need to be obedient. We need to be loving. Yeah. And we need to go share the gospel. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Well, friends, I hope that this has been of great encouragement to you. As we work our way through the doctrines of grace, I hope that you see that God is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is not always an easy subject. This is not always an easy doctrine to uh, submit yourself to, but we hope and pray that as you as you work your way through Scripture, as you do your study, uh, as you grow closer to Christ, that you would uh, see the beauty and wonder of His grace upon your life uh, and that you would be willing to share that with uh, your friends and loved ones uh, that are close to you. We love you, church. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.